You have queued up The Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation recorded at the New York City Concert Hall, Roulette. You can hear thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's past and present and find news of upcoming events celebrating innovation and imagination at roulette.org. Aren't you curious? You're listening to The Roulette Tapes. I'm Susan James. I'll be your host for this edition. California-based woodwind player and composer Vinny Golia is our feature today. He spoke to us about the full range of musical instruments that he plays, musicians he likes to work with, including guitarist Nels Klein and saxophonist Tim Byrne, and his plans for his large ensemble to be presented at Roulette. Here's Vinny Golia. I had the illusion when I first started playing that I would just play soprano saxophone. There were very few soprano saxophone players when I started playing. <clears throat> there was um, Wayne Shorter, of course, but Steve Lacey was the king. And then a few people were picking it up. Monty Waters, Dave Liebman, Steve Grossman. These are just people that I can remember. Um, Zoot Sims, actually, who I have to say, uh, I didn't get into his playing soprano until much later, but oh my God, he's got such an amazing sound. So um, I was a visual artist in New York, and that's how I met a lot of the people that I knew. I was very fortunate to meet a lot of people who were on the cutting edge of things at that time. Anthony Braxton, Dave Holland, Jeff Korea, Dave Weedman, Steve Grossman, Mike Brecker. They were all part of this association called the Free Music Communications. Well, not everyone was. That's not true. Not everyone was. I don't. Dave was not, and Braxton was not. But there was a large group, let's say, based around Richard Barak and Dave Liebman at that time in the 70s, early uh, late 60s or early 70s. And I was the only visual artist, so I wound up doing all the place cards and brochures and all these things and stuff. And I would, on occasion, get this giant urge to play the saxophone. So uh, I did an album cover for Chick Corea. I had a, a, an old saxophone, a, a soprano. And with the money from the album cover and that old soprano, I traded that in to get a new soprano. So that was what I had. And I started traveling around and painting and doing things. Uh, wound up in California, of course. But I had no money coming in, so I started calling people I knew to look for work. And I had my education credentials and there was a job opening. A friend of mine was a bassist, uh, Reed Lawson was a bassist, and, uh, but he was also a lawyer working for the Zuni Indians. He said, well, there's a school teaching job here, but it's a substitute. He said, he said, you can come down and interview for it, you can stay with me. And I went down there and stayed with him, and I got the job, but uh, you know, Native Americans are pretty hardy people, so they, they weren't out of work much. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And Reed had seen that I played saxophone. He said, oh, let's play it. Reed was like transcribing Ravi Shankar's guitar solos and playing them on the bass. 
you know, I mean, he was like, he's an incredibly accomplished musician. I was just starting, I mean, I knew five scales. So he said, oh no, he said, I'll write out you some exercises and we can play in, in the evening. We practice those in the daytime and we play in the evening. So we started playing every day. And then his band came. So they let me play with them. And they said, well, we like the soprano, but can you play flute? And I said, oh, I think so. <laughs> you know? So I got a flute and got a book that literally said how to play the flute. And I stood with the book and read the book and started to learn how to play the flute. The band uh, was there for about a month or so and then went out on the road. And they said, yeah, you should come too. So, I, that, so within a year of having to learn, I started going on the road. And then it started, you know, like somebody said, like, well, we like your sound, but, you know, we need something bigger. Can you play tenor? Uh, okay, you know, so that happened. I was kind of, you know, a half-assed player. I was learning, you know. I had a girlfriend, we moved back to California. She was from California. And I started really hunkering down on the horns and I always wanted to play clarinet. That was something that I always wanted to do. And I, so I started to get a clarinet. I mean, I just slowly amassed them. You know, the bass clarinet came before the clarinet because I heard Eric Dolphy and that was like, you know. So uh, slowly but surely I started just to amass them. And then, but the way I would get them would be like, I would hear a use for them. And then I would try to find one in a price range that I could afford. And slowly but surely, I built up a, a pretty big assortment of reeds. So now I play the entire families of all the things. So I can go from piccolo to contrabass flute, or soprillo, which is the smallest saxophone, to a contrabass saxophone. And I have A-flat clarinet, which is the smallest, all the way down to the contra clarinets. Matter of fact, in some cases, I have two different versions, like a wood one or a metal one or something like that, you know. Uh, I messed around with the bassoon for a little while. I don't play it much anymore. And the English horn, which is like, you know, the kind of proverbial thorn in my side. I love the sound, but I can get I think, three or four notes really well. When those notes are gone, <laughs> it's like singer swing. <laughs> On a good read day, I might be able to do it, but uh, I don't really pull it out in public anymore. I started to work with some theater groups. I teach at Cal Arts. Uh, well, Travis Preston is the, the head of it. He, he was doing these versions of King Lear and Macbeth and Prometheus and et cetera, et cetera. And I got the call to do a lot of music for that. So I started working with poems and, and singing bells and all kinds of that kind of you know, stuff. So I started then branching into different instruments from other parts of the world. Um, and along the line, I met a lot of people who did the same, a similar thing, like J.D. Perrin, for example. He's a wonderful um, uh, clarinetist, and he turned me on to the alto clarinet. So from the alto clarinet, I got turned on to the bassoon on my own. 
And then uh, right now I'm working on a new instrument. It's a tenor clarinet, but it's tuned in the Bowen uh, Pierce system. It doesn't tune in 12s, it tunes in 13s. So you, you can't use it with traditional instruments, but you can use it in electronic music and more percussion style music. So I got that to use in certain groups that I play in now. Uh, Tim Byrne on alto saxophone. Uh, I played multiple woodens. Um, uh, Ken Filiano played bass, and Michael T. A. Thompson played uh, drums and percussion. Some really old friends and um, really fun people to play with. Actually, they're very creative. I'd say Ken Filiano is like one of the few people that you play with that you never know what's going to happen. That's that's a that's a really great gift. To be that spontaneous. And I like to use people that I trust, you know. Uh, yeah. So, um, Tim is an old friend. I've been playing with him since 1978. And um, uh, uh, Ken, I've been, I met in 1984, although he says it was earlier. But we started playing in 1984. And uh, Michael was a friend of Ken's. And, and uh, uh, Michael was recommended by Ken very highly, and I've been playing with him quite a lot since I met him. He's a wonderful percussionist and drummer.
No, you mentioned Nels. Nels is on my second record. That's 1978. So we started playing together, I would say, around 76 or 77. And I also played with his brother quite a bit, Alex. They're twins. It's kind of interesting. They, they think and play very similar ideas. And when you're playing with them, sometimes they do things together that you think are I didn't write that, you know? <laughs> it's very interesting when you play with them. They have a telepathy that's really wonderful. Uh, but Nels, uh, you know, was born in LA and we spent a lot of time playing and, and doing things. And uh, when he moved to New York, he started to get more recognition because, you know, I mean, in New York, people actually care about the music. And out here, it's kind of like a vast wasteland when it comes to, you know, like any kind of support. So I was really happy to see not only that he got some recognition for what he for being the player he is, but also um, the fact that all that recognition doesn't change him at all. He's still his head is still the same at size. So Scott Fields, Toshi Makahara, and myself. Uh, Scott Fields is a guitarist. I think he was living in Minnesota or something like that at the time. And I had seen his first record because Greg Kelly was on it. And I was really kind of interested to see what Greg Kelly was doing. Because usually at that time, Greg Kelly was playing a lot of textural music and such. And, and Scott Fields writes kind of linear stuff. Greg Kelly just ate it up. I mean, really beautiful sound and, and great facility playing the lines. I was really impressed with that. And, and out of the blue, Scott Fields calls and says, uh, you're going to go here? Yes, I'm doing a tour with Toshi Makahara, a percussionist from uh, Pennsylvania. Would you like to play? I said, sure. And then <laughs> and in the mail, I got this tome, a tome of music. And everything was kind of scored out. That's, that playing that kind of music is not my forte. That's actually, you know, like another another reason. I, I often I don't play with him as much because a lot of his stuff is scored really long, ep episodic scored scored music. You know, I mean, I'm good for short bursts. <laughs> I like I don't like to read a lot. I like to I like to improvise a lot. But uh, but I do write a lot. Anyway. We got to, uh, to rehearse in Pennsylvania, and it was pretty apparent that um, 
there's a problem in the in how the music was was gonna go. So it seemed that Toshi didn't read music. So uh, Scott didn't know that at first. So we wound up just improvising. Toshi's a really creative percussionist. So, you know, I mean, like, anything he came up with was, like, just amazingly, it was really creative. And Scott played with a lot of pedals and sounds and stuff. So, so you know, he had a conception in mind that we, that had to change for how, how everybody played together. And he adapted to that, although, um, although it wasn't exactly what he, what he wanted. I started playing at roulette when it was in the loft upstairs someplace. It was, maybe it was Jim's loft. Um, but I don't remember what I brought in there, except for one group that was a bit larger. Jim was, has always been very supportive of the music that I've been making. And uh, I know of, of him as a kind of a, improvising kind of new new music, classical trombonist. And I had one of his recordings. And when I found that he had a space, I contacted him and he was very open, I mean, you know, to having me play. And uh, he knew a little bit about the music already, about what I was doing. And um, he's always, always been very supportive. I really thank him for that, you know. But over the years, since he had the loft all the way to the present, he's He's always been very, very good about, you know, being supportive of not just me, but, you know, a lot of people that are outside of the kind of New York realm of, of music.
Anthony Golia will bring his large ensemble to Roulette this year. Here he talks about the instrumentation and techniques he uses for conducting his chamber orchestra. I'm really stoked on the personnel of the band. And uh, this is uh, one of the first times I think I'm presenting large ensemble of my own music and creation um, since I started. And I've been doing large ensemble since 1982. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about, the, about this particular concert. Three trumpets, three trombones, a bass trombone, tuba, five or six, I think it's six woodwinds, um, some doubling, not, not all. Tim just plays alto, Sarah Schoenbeck just plays bassoon. Two percussionists, one percussion, one drums. And uh, vibes player, my vibes and marimba, uh, piano, uh, what am I missing? It's supposed to add up to about 30 people. <laughs> Myself, of course. Two violins, viola, cello, two basses. So it's, it's a rather large group that can do a lot of like a mini, like more like a chamber orchestra. And that's more how I look at it. I look at it not so much like big band. I'm not really crazy about big bands, but I do like chamber groups. And also, um, I don't like to have a plethora of saxophones. I like clarinets and, and uh, double roots. Oh yeah, doesn't. There's oboe and the oboe, oboist who's also doubling on English horn, for example. So, I mean, just that gives you bassoon, the oboe, and flute. There's uh, one woman that plays flute and alto flute. Josh Stinton, for example, plays alto flute, contrabass clarinet, and baritone. Tim plays alto. Ingrid Lobrecht plays um, uh, soprano and tenor. I don't think, actually, uh, I don't know if I'll be playing much. I'm conducting most, most of the time with the group that size. So there's a lot of written uh, uh, music, but there's also a lot of uh, improvisation. And <clears throat> the main thing about that concert is that um, over the years, since 82, I developed kind of a way of conducting and using whiteboard and cards to to use the orchestra and as the actual improvising instrument as opposed to just playing music or just doing hand signals and doing that stuff. And, you know, I mean, I played with Bleach and I played with Walter Thompson and I'm familiar with that. You know, I also played with Braxton who also does that stuff and Leo Smith. So, you know, I, I mean, so I just, as we all do, we all come up with our own ways of making it efficient. And I feel like this is a, a really, responsive group of, of players who can improvise and read really well. And just, that's why it should be a really exciting concert.
The Roulette Tapes is a production of Roulette Intermedium. This project is made possible in part with support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Grammy Museum and has been named a 2021 Webby Award honoree. Our executive producer is David Weinstein. I'm Susan James. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to The Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation. This series is produced by Roulette Intermedium. You can find thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's archives and news of upcoming events at roulette.org.